Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Pisando la pelota Nelson, a la media vuelta se vuelve a marchar Nelson, Martinelli con la pelota, el recorte de Martinelli, segundo tanto de Martinelli, segundo gol de Gabriel Martinelli. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra as always with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly morning to you and that's morning with a U. Ah, very yeah. clever. Thank you. Very clever. Thank you. Yes, goodly morning to all mourners, I guess. Mm. We might as well set the tone. You know what? Um, this weekend and, and yesterday, um, on Sunday, I cracked a tooth off a piece of ultra crispy bacon. Wow. And And yesterday, I had to go get a thing frozen off the top of my head, off my forehead, I right. enjoyed both of those things far more than I enjoyed watching Arsenal last night. Wow. L let's start with the tooth. Is, is it sort of like something that needs to be replaced? Or um, is it just like, oh, well, that bit of tooth's gone now? No, I, I'm going to the dentist today. Um, okay. But there's this, it's one of the back teeth and there's, you know, a chunk missing, which is not great. I'm not looking forward to this afternoon when I go visit the dentist. But there you go. I still enjoyed that more than last night. Wow. Mm. You might even enjoy the dentist more than last night. Well, at least something. he'll give me some drugs, which will freeze some bits of my body so I don't have to feel this suffering and pain, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they need to start implementing for Arsenal games. If, if you're going to be forced to watch them, at least let you have some drugs. Absolutely. That's that's what they should do with the uh, the membership packs from now on. Forget the scarf. <laughs> Just send a season-long uh, dose of opium or, or some kind of hallucinogen that people can use to get through the games. I, I did notice the unfortunate timing of the membership packs arriving. Uh, it seems that a lot of people have got this sort of in the last 24 hours or so. They normally take until about March or something in the season mm. to get them out. And the one year they've managed to get them out on time, uh, it, it does seem like quite unfortunate. Uh, uh, I haven't got mine yet, so something It'll to look forward to. It'll probably arrive after like a 6-0 defeat <laughs> to like Stoke in the cup or something. <laughs> Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. Um well look, I think we should we should make the point that this is probably not going to be the most cheery upbeat podcast people have ever heard and uh, anyone expecting anything different than what you're about to get. Um I don't know what sort of game you were watching last night. Perhaps the same one that Una Emery was watching where he said we didn't deserve to lose. Yeah, I actually agree. Um I think we were really good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, <laughs> not I even we you. <laughs> yeah, not even me. 
Sadly, not even me. Uh, no, this was uh, bad, I think. Definitely mm. bad. Definitely bad. It's just, you know, on, on what shade of the spectrum of bad you, you want to put this on. Um, you know, I think there are a lot of not quite existential questions, but sort of broad questions about the manager and about his future and about the work that he's doing, which I think we can get into uh, in a while, whether we save it for the questions or whether it just comes up in the the course of this conversation. We'll play it by ear. You know, we can do that. That's fine. But I think we should maybe try and look at the match and see what we thought of what went on and what happened and and everything else. The the place to start, I suppose, is the is the starting lineup. Any surprises in that lineup for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were. Um, I think particularly Kieran Tierney's omission. I thought was <sighs> mm. odd, just because Emery had said in the build up he is available now. You know, he's considered for selection. He's fully fit. Um, so I thought this would be the opportune moment to give him a chance in the Premier League and the fact that he didn't caught me off guard. That was probably the only one that really surprised me. I yeah, say. I mean, isn't the Tierney thing a little bit weird in the sense that, you know, he did very explicitly say that he is ready to play and uh, I was reading, I think it was James Benj, his timeline, and... The rationale apparently is that he felt Kalasinac hadn't done anything to to lose his place. Um, but th- doesn't it then sort of lock you into a weird cycle with Tierney if we make the assumption that he is going to play on on Thursday in the Europa League against Vitoria? Does that not then make him a doubt for our next Premier League game simply because you know the the time span the Thursday Sunday thing is is a factor it is a factor in the 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 team selection and the decisions that you make so from my point of view unless there's something that we don't know about the player's fitness that he's not quite ready yet it seemed a strange decision to me, you know, not only because I think he's a better player than Kalasinac and gives us something that, that we need down that left-hand side. This idea, this has just sort of fucked the schedule a bit. Yeah, and look, far be it for me to sort of turn on any individual player, but I do think that Kalasinac costs us. I, I really do, actually, and... um I think in a couple of years' time, when Glasnach is sort of a, 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 a long-forgotten memory, maybe at Arsenal, I think we'll reflect on his signing and his tenure as an Arsenal player as quite bizarre. I think he is one of the weirdest players I've ever watched. But I noticed in the warm-up before our last home game, Freddie Jumberg was doing this exercise with Glasnach where he was just playing the ball to him and trying to get him to sort of take touches in confined spaces so he was literally passing to him closing him down and asking him to sort of get out of those tight spaces but he he's can't do that that's not his game and I know the passing around the back infuriates people but when we go to the left hand side and Kalasinac in particular it's just disastrous yeah unless and, he's unless he's overlapping yeah you know the, there's nothing to to the way that he plays and I think in some ways he encapsulates for me this um this issue that I have with the timidity of our football that our willingness to go back under just the slightest bit of pressure last night was absolutely infuriating that we would have possession deep in the Sheffield United half and they they you know start to press us a little bit and we're like ah no and and 
immediately the ball goes backwards, it, it goes back to a centre half, it can go back to the goalkeeper, uh, and he is one of the players I think who who causes that because he. I don't know if somebody had a word with him about the the passing stats, for example, because quite often his passing stats were were really really poor. And has he been told to not take any chances by trying to pass the ball forward or trying to pass the ball in field? Are his passing statistics better now, but the quality of the pass or the type of pass he's making very different because he seems to go back a lot. Yeah, well, when he goes forward, he loses it. And, you know, I know when people look at the centre-halves, they're like, why are we playing out through Socrates? We've got David Luiz on the mm. other side. And I genuinely think the reason we often go to the right is because our right-backs are more adept on the ball than Kolasinac, and that's part of our supposed escape plan. And actually, I know when we sold Monreal, people thought, well, that was the better thing for the long term. But Monreal was so much better in those scenarios that I do think Tierney's absence and mm. Klasnach's playing has, has really hurt us. So I was frustrated by Tierney not playing. Like you say, that it may well be there are fitness concerns that we don't know about, but looking on paper and just taking it from what Unai Emery had said in his press conference, that seemed an odd one to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, he is difficult to understand at times, Emery, but when he says he is ready to play... I think we can take that at face value. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> the, the other things in the starting lineup, I was actually quite pleased to see Joe Willock play. I've been a bit of an advocate of his, so I can't, you know, <clears throat> that decision with hindsight. Mm. Um, I wasn't surprised that Meza Erzl wasn't in the squad, even despite everything had gone on. I just thought away game in the Premier League, I, I didn't see it happening. Um mm. And I'm uh, just trying to think of anything else. I mean, I didn't think Lacazette would be back into the eleven. No. I didn't think Bellerin would either. So it was mainly the left-back for me. Yeah. So I mean, Lucas Torreira will be one that, you know, people, again, uh, will be say, why <clears throat> why isn't he starting? But yeah. I don't think you can count that as a surprise, given the way Emery seems to be using him. No, it's true. It, it seems quite clear that Emery doesn't particularly fancy him as a, as a player, yeah. certainly not a player to to play in, in a deep-lying midfield role, which is where uh, I think he's best and where he's played at his best for Arsenal. But we have Granit Xhaka in there who, are, you know, I, I didn't think he did anything worse or better than anyone else, really. But he just has become this this sort of symbol of what the team is under Unai Emery mm. that Xhaka sort of represents the kind of football that, that Emery wants us to play in as much as we can figure out what that is. It's it's slow, it's pedestrian, it's, um, you know... Yeah, look, I, I don't know why we keep picking the same players and keep seeing the same things and expect anything different. Yeah, well, Shaka, you know, this is not um, necessarily linked directly to last night's performance, but I do feel that it's approaching the point where you kind of just have to make a change now to, to try something different in there because, you know, he is a, a sort of key cog in this team and this team isn't quite working. It reminds me a little bit of when Arsene Wenger pulled Thomas Vermaelen out of the team, you know, and replaced him with Koscielny and Mertesacker at the back. And it... it 
you know, it's not that Vermaelen was a bad footballer, but something about him in that defence just wasn't right. The balance wasn't right. And I feel like it's like that with Shaka at the moment, where, you know, bringing Torreira in for him would be a kind of symbolic change that, that might shift mm. the, the dynamic of this midfield because, you know, he's very wedded to the idea of Shaka and Genduzi, but it's very difficult to, to mount a case that it works. Yeah, and maybe he will make a change. Maybe he will make a change, but, you know, I, I don't know if it's a change that he feels he he really wants to make or one that he might make because of pressure that's on him to do something different, anything different to get more out of the team, if that mm. makes sense. You know, I mean, he took Xhaka off in the second half yesterday, um, which was surprising. Yeah, I have unusual. to say. A little bit unusual. Um I, I'm not sure it made a great deal of difference, to be perfectly honest. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. look, a, a team selection that didn't really surprise too many people and a performance based on that team selection that didn't surprise too many people either. You know, I thought um, going into the game, this was an opportunity for us um, without taking the opposition for granted in any way. But we spoke about this run of fixtures, didn't we, after the international break and, yeah. and how we needed to sort of um, set a marker as to as to what we're about. And maybe that was the marker. Maybe that's as indicative of who we are and what we're capable of as as anything else, which is a little bit unfortunate. Well, yeah, I, I suppose I would also say, though, that looking at this fixture, this always, um, and this is not a defence, but it always felt like one where we might struggle away from home, you know, little things against a team in the north of England. Historically, we've been bad at this stadium. I mean, this is a game that, I don't know, did you go into it thinking, oh, Arsenal will win this? I really I, did, had No, look, I'm not, I can't say I was surprised in any way by yeah. by the way we played. I can't say I was that surprised by the result. I can't say I was surprised by the way that we struggled. I think it, it all stems from from Emery and Emery's approach. You know, if you look at our, our away record in the, the last 10 games, the first five games away from home this season, the first or the last five games away from home last season, you know, I think we've 11 points points from, from 30. We have a fundamental problem. We've got a, uh, a problem that he can't seem to solve. But what, what I, I think is that because of the way we, we acted as a club during the summer, that there's a, there's a reasonable expectation for improvement. Mm. And we're not seeing it. If anything, I think we're getting more and more stuck in a, in a kind of a rut in terms of how we play and how we perform. And, and even the fact that you've said, well, it's a game in the north of England and it's away from home. And, you know, that's not really our our bag. That's not really acceptable, though, is it? That's not really good enough to to say, well, you know, this is this is not what we usually do well. Surely the, the, the point we should be looking at is, why aren't we doing better? Why aren't we improving? Why can't we perform in games like this? You know, Sheffield United are a newly promoted side. They're obviously very well organised. The, the coach has done a, a great job there. He got them up with uh, a, a very good points uh, total in the in the championship last season. But I did a podcast with a Sheffield United guy um, before this game, and he was saying, well, you know what, we, we have this really appalling record 
after the international breaks. Last mm-hmm. season, we didn't win a single game after an international break. And we're playing Arsenal and, you know, you're looking at Aubameyang, you're looking at Pepe, you're looking at Lacazette, you're looking at a squad of really talented players. And we've managed to break their hoodoo for them in a way. You know? Well, yeah. If there's one team that's worse after an international break, it's probably us. I mean, oh. was it Watford after the last one? Was it? I yeah. remember. And yeah, it, it is interesting. I mean, to hear that perspective from another fan of like, you know, they've got these great players, but then to be so much less than the sum of those parts, you know, it, it is uh, not a good look mm. for the coach, definitely. Well, yeah. I mean, here's a question that I, w- I would ask you Do you feel like. Honestly, stepping back and just looking at the squad objectively, do you feel that the players we have are capable of better than we're seeing at this moment in time? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think there's any doubt about that, really. Uh, You know, I I really feel this squad of players, this collection of players, maybe not necessarily the players that, you know, Emery's picking to start every week, can do better than they are doing. Absolutely. Mm. Um, and quite a lot better too, you know, because in theory everyone can do better, but quite a lot better. Yeah. And the thing of sort of going away and surrendering away from home to a, a team in the north, I mean, that's not to say that's okay. It's just that is what we have been for three years probably. And it's it's worrying that in his t- one and a half years in charge, Unai Emery doesn't seem to have found a way, apart from the sort of flush of novelty when he first came in, of, of reversing that, of changing it. Yeah, that is that is a big worry, and it's got to be a concern because he was brought in to, to, to make us more tactically astute to to solidify us to make us defensively stronger to to perhaps deal with issues of mentality or psyche or whatever it is the the psychological blocks that we have um and i feel in many ways that that he is making those things worse because of his um his conservatism his cautiousness the way that he instructs his team to play uh, you know, I, I don't feel like he ever sends his team out with the kind of belief that they can go and 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 win a game. You know, mm. you looked at the way we played yesterday, and you know that didn't look like a team that really, really believed in in what it was doing on the pitch. Um, the way that he managed the game, I think, is is open to question as well. Some of the substitutions, some of the positional changes. You're looking at a player like Aubameyang, who, who is nominated for the Ballon d'Or. That's a measure of uh, the quality that he has shown during his time uh, at Arsenal, particularly over the last 12 months, the goals that he has scored. And we don't play in a way which even comes close to maximizing his talent and his ability. You know, there were there was a moment, I think, yesterday where... It could have been Chambers. He put in a cross, and it wasn't a particularly great cross. And and there was just this display of of outright frustration from Aubameyang because he's not getting anything, anything mm-hmm. at all. And and that, regardless of what you think of the team that that Emery picked, um, I think it it speaks to the kind of football that we play. And I don't, you know, we've had this conversation before about the identity or what what sort of footballing philosophy we have or we expect us to have or that Emery thinks we should have or, or whatever it is but you can't look at the way Arsenal played last night and think that that's I, I you can't think it's it's 
good enough for a team to win enough points to finish in the top four because it's absolutely not. And this is a result that was coming. It was absolutely um, it was earmarked. In the post. It was in yeah. the post, exactly. That, that is true. But And I think what's interesting is that, you know, we've had the debate on here of kind of, well, what, what should Arsenal's football philosophy be? And I think actually that might be something of a red herring. I think that the biggest concern is that we don't discernibly have any. And I think if we had one, yeah. if Unai Emery had one ruling philosophy that we could see, then I think people could at least work with that. Um, even if it didn't fit their ideal of what Arsenal is supposed to be. Yeah. If there was something there, then we might be like, okay, well, that's what we are for now. But the absence of that is probably the most concerning thing. And something that strikes me about this team is... Uh, I, and I know some people disagree, but it feels to me like we are quite different sometimes, game to game. Like our problems to me sometimes seem to be not always the same. Like if I think about the Watford match, for example, we concede, I don't know, 30 shots, could have conceded five goals or something. If I think about this game, Sheffield United actually only scored from a set piece and didn't really create anything in the game. We had all the possession, but couldn't do anything with it. Mm. You know, we, as Emery tinkers, his his team identity shifts, but none of them seem to work. Well, none of them seem to click. Okay, but is, isn't that a consequence of not having that one idea? That if it's if it's this this week and it's that the next week and the week after that it's something different, and if the first half is A and the second half is B, you know it's all so muddled. It's all yeah. just so muddled that I don't blame the the players per se for for this result I can't really stick it on the players there are games where you look and you say well look we didn't play well collectively or that guy cost us the game or an individual mistake here or there but last night it was just solely down to to Emery I was trying to do the the player ratings last mm, night and that's it was a just difficult like job. it was just like well what really can you say about the players, some of them, okay, Pepe should have scored a goal or or Socrates should have had a penalty. But, like, it wasn't really the players themselves. There were moments, and we're going to talk about the goal now in a second, which I think is is another um, black mark um, for the manager, but also some of the players individually. But it was more about, like, w- what we were trying to do on the pitch and... I think I think those players looked afraid. I think they looked afraid to play football. I think they looked afraid to uh, take any risks. Um, and I think that stems from the way they're being being um, coached and sent out onto that pitch. Like it feels like we're a team that is um, first. We don't lose. I think that's mm-hmm. Emery's outlook. Is first we don't lose, and if we can nick a win, great. And I don't think that's a. Uh, I, I think that's okay if you're a team that's perhaps looking to avoid relegation. I don't think you can be that team if if finishing in the top four and qualifying for the Champions League is your season goal. Yeah, it seems that way at the moment. And something that occurred to me watching the game is, I felt like I watched the way Sheffield United played. And I'm sure they'll have taken great satisfaction from their performance. And I was looking at it and thinking, I'm sure Unai Emery admires 
how Sheffield United have played this game. <laughs> and that feels telling. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think he more easily identifies with a team or a club as a kind of an underdog rather than the the favourite, rather than the one that has to go out and, and dominate a game and, and is expected to play a kind of football um, that, that just doesn't seem simpatico with his outlook on the game. Mm. And it's interesting because, you know, you look at the clubs that he managed in Spain, which are kind of Valencia, Sevilla, you know, I think of those as relatively big clubs, but... I almost am forced to wonder whether the, the, the fact that Spanish football is so weighted towards, you know, the teams from Barcelona and Madrid, that is it kind of like every club outside of that very small clutch is kind of an underdog in most scenarios. Maybe, maybe when it comes to to those games, but also, you know, you're, you're going to play, um, you know, you're... you're Smaller teams. You're still playing Ibar. Yeah, yeah sure. you're still playing Hitafe and um, Real Oviedo or wherever it is. You know, you're still playing against teams who you as Valencia or Sevilla would be considered, you know, favourites and, and bigger than. Um, let's talk about the goal. A corner comes in, goes to the back post. There are maybe three Arsenal players around the... Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the Sheffield United player. Mm. And all the while, the goal scorer is standing right in front of our goalkeeper with no Arsenal player anywhere near him. I mean, yes. that is a that is a, a an absolute failure of organisation. And I don't know if Bernd Leno said anything to any of the players. Granit Xhaka was there, but not really paying any attention. I think Leno should um, call somebody's attention to that situation because, you know, if that happens at any level of the game, you know, you get a man in front of your goalkeeper and you, you start moving that guy away. Um, you know, it's it's just l- ludicrous. It's a ludicrous goal to concede. Um, whatever about losing the, the initial header, that can happen at the back post. It's not great, but it can happen. But to leave a guy unmarked two yards out with players running hither and thither with no idea what's going on. It's just terrible organisation. Yeah, I did see Patrice Ever saying that um, some goalkeepers and maybe Leno had, had kind of wanted to be left alone with the player. Mm. And I, you do occasionally see that because it's sort of they feel they've got a great path to come out if they need to come off their line. But Leno's not someone who loves coming off his line in a corner situation, so I find that slightly unlikely. And... I think if you do do that, surely it's on Shaq or whoever it is to, once the ball's in play, respond to that. And he was just so free. It was kind of, it was one of those goals that goes in and you almost double take because you're like, that was so easy. That that can't be right. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it, it was really, really poor. And I, I have question marks over the back post just because we do tend to set up with, Matteo Ganduzzi on the back post quite frequently and I just I don't really think he's anything in the air to be honest with you mm. uh, so I don't know why we do that but then I also look through this team and I think who is good in the air it's one of the the facets of this team that I think is not really discussed very often but I think we really lack players who can head the ball uh, well and again Monreal 
is gone and he's another who could. Um, Shaq is actually somebody, you know... He's not like, that bad. He's not yeah. that bad and he does tend to make a lot of those headed clearances at the, the front post, um, yeah. which is yeah. where he's obviously deployed. But yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a good point. Um, I actually think it's partly why it's one of the reasons Callum Chambers is playing at right back because he... he oh, can, yeah, he is good. Uh, you know, well, good in the in comparison. Okay. Yeah. And they are trying to do, you know, the old Chesney Sanya goal kick routine out yeah. to the right wing. You see that happening with Chambers a little bit now, trying to find the knock-ons for Pepe. But, you know, we're not great in the air as a rule. And, the, yeah, the, but this is an organisation thing and that's what's most frustrating about it. Yeah. I mean, I don't really remember Leno making another save in the game. There was there was one where the guy whacked it straight at him. He really hit it very yes, hard. Second yes, half, yes. he hit it and he sort of fumbled it but got there before the striker could follow in. They did have another chance which went into the side netting, which was you know, another really good hit. There was another uh, one that yeah, went yeah, kind of yeah. wide. So he wasn't really tested to the extent that we've seen him tested in, in previous games. But... But this was a gift of a goal. Really. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know, and you can't, you can't, you just can't um, give away goals like that at, at this level, particularly when you're a team that, that struggles to create and, and somewhat ironically or whatever way you want to put it, it came not long after we put together what was our best move of the game, the best piece of football that we played in the 90 minutes. A, a really good move started with Pepe at the back worked out um, Pepe kept running it came to Kolasinac credit to him it was a, a very good ball in for for Pepe who who should score from there so that that was disappointing obviously um, and people I think will will maybe look at that as the measure of, of Pepe's performance that he missed that that sitter and you know that's clearly not good he should have he should have took that away and the game would have obviously had a very different complexion if you go one nil up but um yeah I mean your thoughts on the miss and and Pepe overall because I I actually thought despite how dismal it was generally I thought there were some signs from Pepe that were encouraging throughout the the time in which he was on the pitch, and I have to say, I thought the the substitution of him was very odd. But yeah, I I agree about the substitution. I thought the first half was comfortably his best forty five minutes of football at Arsenal. I really, really did. He, I thought he was, um, I thought he was sensational at times. His dribbling ability to break away from inside our own half. There was two or three occasions where he worked himself out of really tight spaces or between two players. And had he finished that goal, you know, I know that's a big if, it would, it would have been a really fantastic counter-attacking goal, a properly sweeping move with him at the heart of it. And it's a real shame that he didn't, to be honest. I think it would have done wonders for his yeah. confidence and for the perception of him. But yeah, I I mean, the, the, the crazy thing is, I'm not going to go and set out on a limb and say we were good in the first half, but I did see some green shoots, mainly through Pepe, of kind of like, OK, well, you know, there is a bit of threat there. There was another occasion he went down the right-hand side and uh, fizzed a good ball across after a ball over yeah. the top from Callum Chambers. And, there, you know, they were just with, with Willock on the pitch as well. He had a couple of breaks. And I thought, OK, maybe on the counter we might be able to do something here. As soon as we went behind... That went out the window, really, because Sheffield United's game plan was set from that point on, and they were happy for us to have 
possession. And we we just couldn't do anything with it. I mean, I found the second half uh, infinitely more frustrating, even though it was theoretically the half in which we dominated. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But I, what do you think of that? You know, you mentioned it there, but this idea that, you know, we could be threatening on the counter-attack away at Sheffield United. Again, you know, not taking anything for granted, but is... Does that not say something about who we are at this moment in time, that we're looking for for Arsenal to be a counter-attacking team against Sheffield United? Uh, maybe. I don't necessarily see that as so bad. Because like, if I, if, you, if, if I said to you that, oh, I don't know, Liverpool went somewhere and they scored three goals on the break, then you'd be like, oh, well, that's an effective counter-attacking strategy they might have used it I don't know like I think you can play in a counter-attacking fashion that is productive and that is creating chances and scoring goals yeah. clearly we're not doing that yeah okay um, that's fair but I think that you know I, I think a counter-attack can be effective but unfortunately our one just isn't um, Socrates should have had a penalty I think so yeah I mean the only thing that gives me pause for thought is that did he have the other guy's shirt as well? And is that why they were like, well, the more pronounced pull was on Socrates, but he was kind of doing the same thing. So. Was he? I have to, I'd have to look at it again. Yeah, I'd have to see it again as well. But I feel like his right hand was across the guy. I mean, I was surprised it wasn't given simply because, I mean, VAR, right? Like, it, it, it's not really overturning referees' decisions. So I think ultimately we have to look at the refereeing decisions and be like, you know, judge it on that. And looking at what Mike Dean saw, I'm surprised he didn't give it. Right. I'm just going to look at it again here. I know this is a, basically a moot point. Uh, no, no. I mean, uh, I'm not sure, but that was my perception of it. Okay, hang on. Let's see here. Um, like... It's a pretty obvious. It's a pretty obvious pull, in fairness, and I'm not sure. I think, I think uh, Socrates was basically. Uh, no, no, no. And look, it's a. It's yeah. It's one of those I think where you do, when you do the pause and you do the slow motion, it looks a lot more than it is. But you know, it's an obvious shirt pull in the box. Probably should be a penalty. Saka booked for a dive. I have a lot of sympathy for him there. I don't think it was a, a dive. I'm not no. sure it was a penalty though. No, I don't. I don't think that one's a penalty. I think the Socrates one is more a penalty than that one. Yeah, uh, I think he. I think he is anticipating a challenge, and there is contact. Actually, you know, there is yeah. a coming together, and he's travelling at real speed. So, I think you could see kind of in his face that he hadn't thrown himself on the floor. Um, I really like Saka, and I think you know he's obviously one of the bright spots in this team, even if he didn't have the best night yesterday. But I thought a booking was certainly harsh. Yeah, I, I were, thought he had some moments, actually. You know, there were there were uh, a couple of moments where he took the ball on and he wasn't inhibited by the yellow card. He did create a good chance for Ceballos um, yeah, in the yeah. second half. You know, on a night where we created very little, I think he came out of the game with, with, with some credit. Maybe. I mean, I feel like uh, my abiding memory from of him from this game will be him sort of switching into number 10 and Aubameyang going out wide and me not really understanding any of that. Yeah. But uh, well, that's yeah. not his fault. No, I mean, I think my abiding memory, and it sums up a lot of um, what happened last night, was him dropping deep, almost outside our own box to pick yeah. the ball up because, well, there was just a great big gap in the midfield because Sabias and Genduzi were further forward and he came back to pick up the ball, got fouled. 
And and you can sort of see David Luiz looking at it going like, what the, what the fuck are you doing here? Like, not in a bad way, but just like, what? What? Why are you here? Um, because he shouldn't be. And, and look, we can talk about the substitutions then because he brought on Ceballos at halftime for, for Willock. Uh, yeah. You know, I think he, he was involved, obviously, lots of touches of the ball, but I think a lot of that was down to Sheffield United sitting deeper as well. You know, we, we, we did play the game more in their half, but as you say, the frustrating part of that is that for all the the domination of territory and possession, we really weren't able to create any chances. Yeah, I mean, I feel for Joe Willock a bit. I think if you play Joe Willock as number 10 in this system, in fact, any player who plays as number 10 in Union Emery's system is going to be a relatively low-touch player. Uh, and I think... You know the people who advocate for Mesut Özil have been pointing that out. When when he's played, he's got less touches in that central advanced what, area. What do you think he wants from the player in that position? Uh, I honestly think that what he wants is kind of what we saw in his first ever game uh, against Manchester City, where he played Aaron Ramsey there, which is more of a sort of support striker, so a pressing agent, someone who is an option on the break. I think, you know, Ramsey and Willock are low-touch players in that scenario. They're not someone who, you know, we think of a number 10, we think of a playmaker. But I think Emery sees that role more like he would see, I mean, I hate to use Spurs players a comparison, but a kind of a Deli Alley or a Julio Baptista, someone who is like a second striker almost. Mm. And when he brought Ceballos on, Ceballos was mainly operating slightly deeper and that is his tendency to come slightly deeper and we looked more like a sort of 4-3-3 to me than a 4-2-3-1. So, yeah, I just think that's sort of worth pointing out that people keep asking Emery to, you know, play with a number 10, but I'm not sure he plays with a number 10 as we have experienced it in the past. Yeah, okay. Um, So we bring on Lacazette for... For Shaka, Shaka, yeah, which felt like a very aggressive change. I mean, I was like, okay, well, this kind of bodes well. But the way the team shaped up after that point uh, didn't help us at all. No, I thought we lost shape. Uh, I think we were playing with uh, players in unfamiliar positions. Lacazette coming on, of course, means Aubameyang has got to go out to the left-hand side. And we know that he can score goals from from the left-hand side. So that's, you know, it's not the, the biggest problem in the world, particularly when Aubameyang has spent the game fucking chasing his tail and getting no service from from anybody, particularly in the penalty box. So maybe you get him on the ball a bit and he can he can do something. Ultimately, that proved not to be the case. But then you bring Martinelli on, put him on the left, put Aubameyang on the right-hand side. You have Genduzzi and Ceballos, both very eager, both trying to make things happen, but leaving big gaps in midfield. Um, that's where Saka has to sort of be uh, deployed as a, as a kind of a number 10, but then all of a sudden he's sort of turning into an eight and into a six. Um, you know, I it just felt make it up as you go along kind of stuff. And that was reflected in 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 the way that the, you know, the game finished. Um, well, just- also, like, there is an alternative setup here. Like, you know, you could put, keep Saka wide left uh, and put Aubameyang and Lacazette as a front two or yeah. even yeah. drop Lacazette slightly deeper. You know, there are other ways of doing this. This wasn't the most obvious 
answer. So, yeah, I think it was a, a kind of crazy. And, and then Martinelli for Pepe. I mean, look, maybe Pepe had got through a lot of running in that first half. Maybe he was exhausted, but I think he probably still looked our most dangerous player. Yeah, um, he had a shot, didn't he, that went not far wide and he was he was yeah. on the ball quite a lot. Um, and, and you felt like having Lacazette and Aubameyang there to combine with would have mm. helped him potentially do you think, I think especially Lacazette would help him yeah I mean um, and what do you think he will leaving aside the leaving aside you know what we thought he was doing do, do you feel like after that kind of a substitution it might have an impact on his confidence or just sort of the overall sense that taking him off in a game like this when we needed a goal is somehow a bit counter intuitive or or damaging in a way maybe i mean i think i think he'll be more thinking about that chance to be honest i mean this is a game that sort of should have been his kind of premier league uh coming out almost you know it should have been his moment where he announced himself and it very nearly was and it didn't quite happen i think uh, yes, it might play into this kind of uh, doubts and concerns that he must be going through at this point. But uh, I think there's a lot going on there with Pepe. And, mm. uh, you know, I think there was a lot to be... I do think there was a lot to be encouraged about in his performance, but uh, it still didn't quite click into gear as we hoped. It feels like it's getting closer, maybe, but he's yeah. still got a way to go, certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so... Rather than go up into third place, we're in fifth place mm-hmm. in the overall uh, table. You know, it's not not terrible, but this is just the continuation of a run of form from the end of last season, which which you can't help be really worried about. Yeah, I mean, fifth place, you know, it depends how you look at it, doesn't it? We're only three points clear of Tottenham and we all seem to be enjoying uh, the season they're having very much so it is it is a, a compressed table still but uh, you know there have been drop points especially away from home that are very concerning but I think that really the concern is sort of different to that it's the concern if we were this place in the table but people felt like there were signs of momentum or signs of progress I think there'd be less concern. I think they'd think, mm. well, you know, we seem to be improving and therefore we'll kind of grow as the season goes on. But I think the absence of of those signs is is what's concerning people. And it's very difficult to refute that. It's impossible to refute yeah. it, really. Yeah. Um, and I don't know where else to go with this discussion without taking it fall on to the manager maybe we should wait until until part two and questions because there are just so so many questions about what's going on and and what we're doing well maybe let's do that then maybe that's the best way break it up here we've sort of done the game game, uh, and then we'll come back and talk about the manager and other things yeah is there anything else from the game that that caught your attention or anything we should touch on Uh, I'm just trying to think really We've done. I mean, I no. I just would reflect on the perversity of of the Kieran Tierney thing and how you know we probably will have a game against Victoria on Thursday where we'll probably play some decent football and it'll be vaguely <laughs> enjoyable to watch. And it's odd. It's really odd that 
Uda Emery looked at this week and thought, that's the game I'll give him. I'm not sure how much difference it would have made on the night. I don't think this is a situation that any one player can fix, but it's just such an odd way of viewing this run of three games. Yeah, um, it's about it's about what your team selection says about your intent, mm, I think. But then I, I do wonder if maybe we're missing the obvious here, which is that Unai Emery just really likes Kalasinac in the same way that he really likes Granit Xhaka. I mean, genuinely, I do worry maybe that's something that we are, just aren't seeing. If you keep picking a player, at a certain point you go, OK, he, he rates that guy. Right. That sort of hadn't occurred to me. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. Well, it wouldn't. It wouldn't based on performances. But um, I don't that, know. If, if that's, that's the case, I'm even more <laughs> terrified uh, yeah. than I am already. I mean, look, the, the the reason I would have to doubt that is because he he uh, he picked Monreal most of the time. You're right. Last You're right. season, but then maybe he just preferred Monreal, and maybe he prefers Kalasinac to Tierney, or. Whatever it and might he's be, playing Kalasnach in protest at losing Monreal. Oh, God. Um, we should have kept Monreal. We really should have. But there you there go. You go. Um, right. Okay. Let's do it. Let's take a break. We're going to come mm. back and get full on Emery in out, and I guess shake it all about in part two. Right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. And uh, you get lots of other stuff on there too, including ad free apps and other podcasts. For example, if you want to hear myself and James talk about anything that isn't Arsenal, check out the latest episode of Waffle, which is a podcast in which we do. Uh, our very, very best um, to talk about everything except Arsenal. And uh, it's quite fun because... Proving quite popular at the yes. moment. <laughs> it's good. So you can check that out. If you want to sign up, you can uh, for a fiver uh, a month at patreon.com forward slash arseblog. I'm going to start, James, uh, because I know we're going to get a bit heavy here. I, th- I feel like sure. it's going to get heavy. 
but Zgot, who's at Zgot AFC, who sounds like uh, Adam Buxton doing a David Bowie impression. I suppose so. He says, discuss positive things that Emery has done at Arsenal. I imagine there will be a lot of discussion about removing Emery as manager, so it would be interesting to hear Devil's Advocate saying why he should stay and what good he has done. Easy one for you to start. It actually is quite easy for me, which is that he's played kids and given kids playing time. I mean, that that is the obvious positive for me. I'm not sure there's a massive amount beyond that but uh you know developing the likes of Genduzi, whether or not it's been his choice this season to you know lose experienced players and have Saka Willock involved Smith Rowe occasionally you know those Martinelli though that is the the upside and if he were to go tomorrow would be part of the legacy that mm. he would leave um beyond that it's quite tricky. I mean, I feel like last season we were saying things like, well, Rob Holding's really kicked on and Hector Bellerin's really kicked on and they seem to be responding to the change in management. And I know we haven't seen those players for a, a year or so, really, with any kind of regularity. So maybe that's faded from memory somewhat. Mm. And it's difficult to attribute that, you know, is that down to the player? Is that down to the coaching staff? Is that down to Emery? But I feel like that was a thing that was said. But yeah, I think... I think blooding the youngsters is sort of mm. as far as I'd confidently go. What about you? <laughs> I think maybe some of the performances in the cup competitions. Yeah, or one or two big games, I suppose, you know, United at home, Chelsea at home. There are, there are Tottenham at home. Yeah, I mean that was the one thing that we did take away from last season that our record against the the other big teams was better, and I think that's that's a reasonable thing to to give him yes. credit for. But beyond that, beyond that, I don't think he's had any significant impact on on the the team's mentality or its character. I don't think. Um, in fact, I think he's in some ways made it worse. I don't think he's changed the perception of Arsenal as a team that's a soft touch. Um, I didn't particularly watch any of the post-match stuff or anything else, but I saw a video this morning of of uh, Evra, not my favourite player or person in the world by any stretch no. of the imagination, reiterating his... Um, belief that Arsenal are, are kind of babies. And <laughs> it's such a ridiculous thing to it say. It kind but. of is, but you can kind of also see where he's coming from. Yeah, you can yeah. see where he's coming from. I'm, you know, I, I think it's I think it's ridiculous. I think what he's referring to is just the mindset, you know, that that there isn't the the resilience or the character within the squad to to go to somewhere like Sheffield United and and win a game despite the fact that there is some some quality in there. So you know whether you agree with ever or whether you don't agree with ever, it's the perception. It's what other people from the outside are thinking. I think mm -hmm. he said, uh, you know, I, I I he made a, a reference towards the end. He said, I know some legends who are who are flabbergasted. Well, flabbergasted wasn't the word he used, but are just like, why is Shaka the captain? You yeah. know. And I don't think Emery has 
has had a positive impact on on things that I think it would have been relatively, relatively easy to have a positive impact on. You know, to to take a team that was a bit all over the place, it's fair to say, under Arsene Wenger in his last season, you know, away from home, struggled. At home were very good, but struggled, you know, to sort of bring them together. I mean, I think he has tried to 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 sort of create a a strong team mentality. Did you read Rob Rob Holding? He did a uh, an AMA on Reddit, you know, and ask me anything on Reddit. And he said, you know, something along the lines of when we're in the tunnel, you know, we ask, who are we? And we shout three times, Arsenal, Arsenal. And it's like, but that hasn't worked. That's no good. I mean, he had that 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 guy, you know, the guy who, who I don't know whether he looks after the kits or whatever the fuck he is, you know, who, who gave a team talk last season to sort of create mm. this this environment where everybody has a sense of responsibility. And that guy ended up getting charged by the FA for, like, shouting at referees and stuff. You know, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm struggling. So this was a, a sort of a follow-up question. Um, Awesome, who's at Asum, Asum, rather, A-A-S-U-M-1, Asum1 on Twitter, has Emery improved us? In any way, are there are there facets of of what we do that you think are better than when he took over? I, I suppose I do. I had forgotten, uh, but I, mainly because we haven't won one this season. But I suppose we are we are better in big games as a rule under Emery than we than we were. Um, I think. I think we are still. We were last season. We can't say with any certainty this yeah. season whether that is still true. Exactly, exactly. Um, we were last season. Beyond that, uh, no. I think it's pretty hard, isn't it, to to mount a case for something we've improved at. Um, I feel like our possession numbers are down. I think they're at a sort of uh, a, a low, actually, looking at... Um, it was Opta saying that, you know, in the last 10 years or so, they're at a low. Um, I read some fascinating numbers during the international break. I looked into the idea of pressing. You know, Emery, at his first press conference, talked about he wanted a team that was protagonist and a team that played a pressing game. And actually, in Arsene Wenger's final season, Arsenal did operate with a high press quite effectively. And that carried on pretty much in Emery's first season. Uh, this season, it's not there at all. It's completely absent. Um, by design or by accident, the numbers show it has gone. Uh, so that is a worry. And, yeah, all in all, I think it's very hard to look at the team and say, well, we're better at that. You know, I'm not sure we're better defensively. No. Um and I'm not sure we're better going forward either. We're not. We're not better in midfield. And and the thing is that I, when Unai Emery came in and sort of wanted to add more structure to Arsenal's attack, even if people found it kind of risible, the idea of like, well, we'll get the fullbacks in and we'll cut it back. In theory, adding more structure to a team that had basically become one where sterile domination was 
the the way we were. Mm. Uh, you know, that's not in, inherently a bad idea, but the execution of it has been bad. And we haven't found a, a balance there. You know, we're now a team that, that dominates in a sterile effect in arguably worse parts of the pitch. Yeah. Uh, you know, be that in the fullback areas or, you know, so... <sighs> Did you see no. that there was a clip doing the rounds? Did you see the clip of like us passing it around from the back, and slowly, slowly, um, we basically uh, put ourselves under pressure? I'm gonna, I'm gonna send it to you here. You should watch well, this. We, yeah, well, we have a lot of possession in our own third, um, and we don't find exits. And I, I'll be honest, like I think. There was a when you think back to the last good Arsenal teams, they had a player in Santi Cazorla who was basically a, a, a cheap player in that scenario who could get you mm. out of that situation very easily. We obviously don't have that now, um, but we haven't found another way. We haven't found another means. Mm. I'm watching this uh, clip now, so I think it's Socrates playing it to Shaka, playing it to Socrates playing it to Louise. Sheffield United did a thing quite cleverly where they would let us have it kind of on the edge of our own area. They would let Leno play it short. Yeah. Um, and then engage a press. So, and we walked into that trap time after time. Uh, they were really happy for Louise, Socrates, Ganduzi to have it, Leno to have it, but we could not escape beyond that. And this pass shows that. I think it's... So we're now at 13 passes and we've not made it beyond 30 yards from our own goal. And, and we've turned the ball over. We lose possession. And Sheffield United absolutely knew that's what we were going to do and we played into their hands. Mm. Um, so have... What was the question? Have, have, we, have improved? we improved? No, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think we've got a bit more structural rigour but the price we've paid for it is significant and it's not made us better so what's the point really mm. um, I mean this is uh, before we get onto the full kind of hashtag Emery out Clockend79 on Twitter says what happened to the it will get worse before it gets better quotes when shouts for AW out was in full flow um are we experiencing just, you know, it will get worse before it gets better? Look, there was no guarantee that it was going to become immediately better. But it, no, I don't I mean, think I think I thought it would, though, I have to say. Like, I, I can't sit here and say, well, I said it will definitely get worse before it gets better. No, I don't think anyone said it was going to get worse before it got better. But I think, the, you know, if you looked at it reasonably, I think people would say, look, it might take one manager or two managers maybe three managers before we find the right guy again. I think what's concerning for me is that Emery, you know, was a conservative safety first approach appointment rather. Um, yeah. and, and you could see the logic in that. If you're looking at where the club was and what needed to be done behind the scenes, you know, with the, <clears throat> with the structures and, and everything else, you could sort of see the logic in that, right? Get a guy who can come in, solidify things, just sort of um, stop the the downward trajectory, maybe 
put it a little bit, you know, on, on an upward trajectory. <clears throat> Why am I finding it so hard to say the word trajectory today? Um, you know, that was the idea, I think, to sort of consolidate and to sort of maybe build something of a platform from which we could go forward and, and make mm-hmm. improvements. And that hasn't happened. That hasn't happened. Mm. So does it mean that it was wrong to let Arsene Wenger go? No, I don't think so. Is there anything particularly wrong with making an appointment that doesn't work? No, because it happens all the time in football. But it's about recognising that the guy you've put in place isn't doing what you want him to do or what he should be doing, what he's tasked with doing. And I think that's where the key part of this comes in. It's like, okay, we gave him a summer in which we backed him. We absolutely backed him in the transfer market. We broke the club's transfer record. There was a real feel-good factor going into this season. We're only nine games in, James, and he has um, basically lost a significant portion of the fan base. Um, Mm. Basing that on my own Twitter timeline, people who who I talk to, my my Arsenal-supporting friends, um... I don't see a great deal of support out there for him or for what he's doing, even if there is some acknowledgement from some quarters that, you know, it's a difficult job, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That's that's the reality, I think, of, of where we are. So could it get worse before it gets better? Yeah, it could be getting worse right now. But we have it within our own hands to to do something about it. Um, Let me just ask a a question here then, which leads on. It comes from Anita, who's at Arsenal OFKA. Arsenalovka? I don't know how you pronounce that. Sorry. But uh, she says, something I'm torn about myself and uh, we'll probably discuss on our podcast later as well. Is a manager-coach change better in the middle of the season or at the end, both in our situation and in general? In general, yeah, I think it's. I don't know. Actually, that is a really good question. Uh, my my temptation was to say, in general, it's better at the end because uh, you give a new guy preseason. You know, they sort of come in with a run up, essentially, instead of being plunged into the midst of it. Mm. Um, in practice. Uh, it, that may not be the case because if you parachute a manager in halfway through a season, to a certain extent, they get half a season of almost almost free hit, unless it's a relegation battle. You know, they get time to sort of work with players who they can make decisions about before a summer when they can then remodel and reinvent the team as they choose. Um, so actually maybe that's better because you also then get a kind of new manager bounce potentially which does appear to be a thing that does happen Mm. Um, and that manager can sort of get his feet under the table and assess things before the summer which then becomes the crucial point for you know him sort of implementing his plans yeah so I I think actually like 
for all the sort of hand wringing about, oh, you know, is it the right thing to do? I don't think it. I don't think one is sort of dramatically worse than the other for a manager. Well, I mean, if you say wait till the end of the season and it's obvious nine or ten games into a new season that that you've got big, big problems and you Mm. don't address them till the end of the season and then you end up in uh, a position which is not your goal, then I think that's, that's a ridiculous thing to do, to wait. I mean, we can all understand a manager needing time and deserving time and being given time to to implement their ideas. But I think as soon as it becomes obvious that a change is necessary, that's when you can or should make the change. Well, I, I know what you're saying about like bringing somebody in who hasn't worked with the players, but what if there's somebody there who has worked with the players, who is working with the players? Ah. ah, well, well, we'll come back to that. But I, I, I just wanted to get this question in from Dean Van Nguyen, who says, and I think there's really a lot to this. Are Arsenal caught in a position where they know the manager isn't good enough, but as long as top four is within reach, feel compelled to give him his chance and time? And well, I'm not necessarily sure that we can say with any authority, oh, well, the Arsenal board know their manager isn't good enough, but I, I do feel that the problem here is that as long as you can look at the table and go, oh, well, top four is on the table, I'm not sure I'm convinced that the club would would implement a change. I, 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 think, that's, I think that's not unreasonable, but if, if they turned around today and said, thanks, Unai, cheerio, we're giving it mm. to Freddie... I don't know that too many people would be complaining. And I think what it might do is display the kind of ruthlessness or decisiveness at boardroom level that we really need. We need it. I mean, look, were we encouraged by the summer? Don Raul got all the praise for going out and doing that business. Edu came in. And everyone is encouraged by a former invincible, a guy who did good work with Brazil, coming in to be our technical director. The head of football is there. We hear about, you know, this this football executive committee with Per Mertesacker on it, who's, uh, you know, a very smart, intelligent guy who who has a, a fantastic outlook on on the game, but also the the responsibilities of the club and everything else. Um, I think our faith in that group would be shaken if they continue to allow Unai Emery to underperform the way he's been underperforming, not just this season, but going back to last season. And I spoke about the goodwill factor that was there when this new season kicked off. And that was, I think everybody was aware of that, right? Everybody felt good going into the new season. We felt energized. We felt confident. We felt optimistic, if maybe cautiously optimistic about what we were going to do and what we were capable of doing because of the the business that we did in the transfer market. And that business and that feel-good factor in some ways brought down a a bit of a barrier between um, the start of this season and the end of last season, which was Mm. dreadful. It was really, really bad. And people were willing to give Emery, um, not everyone, but I think a lot of people were willing to give Emery the benefit of the doubt 
because A, it was his first season. B, we had injuries, you know, blah, 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 blah. They were willing to give him a chance this season to show that, okay, we've had a good we've had a good summer, we've had a good clear out, we've got rid of some of the deadwood, we've brought in some good players. It's an exciting squad full of potential that you agree and I agree has players who are capable of performing and playing better football than we're seeing at this moment in time. And now we're nine games in, and it is, for the most part, Emery out. Mm. And if Raul and Edu and the rest of them can sit there and ignore that and not be worried about it, then then our faith in them is going to be shaken. I think it, it really is. I hear you, definitely, but I, I asked you, like, realistically... Like, I know what you're saying. If they turn around and put out a statement today, you know, Emery's been, you know, released from his contract with immediate effect. I don't think that um, people, there'd be uproar, certainly from not from Arsenal fans. No. Um, but do you honestly think that's a realistic prospect? Do you expect that? No, I don't necessarily expect it. Um like, I suppose that's a really interesting question. Like, do you think that is justified today? Like, if they if they fire Emery today, do you think that's justified? Yeah. Okay. I think so. Like, you're asking me, would I make a change now? Yeah, if it's your decision, I suppose. Would you do it? Would you call Unai in today and say... Listen, mate, it's not worked out. Yeah. Yeah, I would. Because it's not working. It's mm. not working. And the performances that have given us some hope and some optimism and some enjoyment have all been in the cups. All of them. This season, anyway. Uh, maybe a little bit of Burnley at home, but even then it was a, a sort of a tight one-goal win at home. Um, and I think a lot of that was to do with with Danny Ceballos dancing his way around the pitch in the sunshine yeah. in August, you know. But in, in Premier League terms, when's the last time we had a really good, really convincing performance? When was that? Like Bournemouth back in February was yeah, the last significant win we had. I know we beat Manchester United 2-0, but, you know, I genuinely can't remember that game or what I thought of it. I mean, obviously beating Manchester United 2-0 at home is is um, is good under any circumstances. But when you look at the way United are at this moment in time, you have to put it in that kind of context. I remember thinking, you know, the, the Chelsea game at the end of January, it was a really good controlled performance. Mm. But beyond that, what what is there? What is there or what is Unai Emery doing that merits him continuing in his job? What is he doing that we can get behind and feel encouraged by beyond those couple of small things we, we talked about earlier. I, you yeah, know, I, I think he's lost. He's lost such a significant part of the fan base that it's, it's a question of when, not if. Question of when. Yes, barring something completely remarkable. That is correct. Like, there is, of course, a small percentage chance that this will magically improve. 
you know, I uh, I have held out that hope. That hope is fainter now than it has ever been. Um, but, you know, we have to acknowledge it as a possibility. In terms of when, just looking at the fixtures, I think that it will come to... I, I think Unai Emery will still be here uh, at Christmas. I think he will. I think he will stumble through to then. I'm and looking, then you've got look. a run mm. mid-December where we play... On the 15th of December, we play Man City. The following week, we go to Everton. The week of Christmas, we go to Bournemouth and then host Chelsea. Uh, and then Man United on New Year's Day. And I would say now that I think that run could well prove his comeuppance. I think that between the cup games and the fixture list we have right now, I'm not saying we're going to see a team that's magically improved or, you know, dramatically better, but I think it's November, it's what, October 22nd now. I think he will stumble through November and December might be when everything sort of comes home to roost. That That's just my sort of prediction. I'm not saying that's right, but when I look at it mm. and think about how football often works, that's what I see. Well, look, I see two home games against Crystal Palace and Wolves that if we don't take maximum points from, yeah. he should go. I see an away game against Leicester that if we lose, he should go. I think he's, I think he's a defeat away from losing his job and it's not just results this is not just about results it's about performances it's about the way that we play and I, I you you also have to consider the future you have to consider the future of this team and the future of this squad and if we allow Emery's non-football to to have such a significant impact on the way that Obama Yang impacts games mm. and Lacazette like those two guys are not going to stay for another year of Europa League football neither of them I'd and we, we we want both of those guys to sign new contracts and I think you have to look outside the prism of of what we see and think about are those guys going to sign on to play week in, week out, the way we play in the Premier League under Unai Emery. Would you, if you were Obama Yang? Don't think so. If you were Lacazette, you could go to, you know, a host of top clubs around Europe. Yeah. And where are we without them? Where are we without them? There are other considerations for for Raul and Edu, etc., to to take into account. Yeah, that's certainly true. I'm just saying that I, I suppose... Against in in my naivety, I think that Arsenal will probably win those home games and probably lose their away games, and that I'm not saying that this is correct. I just think that that will sort of be like just enough for them to not pull the trigger on Emery until we hit that really tricky patch. That's not to say that's what they should do. That's just my prediction. Mm. Um, but I, I agree with you that if they were to turn around today and say, look, it hasn't worked out, my primary response would be one of kind of admiring their conviction and their ambition. 
you know it would it would be one of well this is sooner than some clubs would fire a manager but if you've got a plan then absolutely well yeah they they have got to be they've got to be considering other options at this point they have to if they're not and if they're fully weighed in behind emery and his methods and his output then then we're in we're in big trouble the, I, I i yeah i don't believe that like as in no. i i think they might take more time than some supporters would like to make that final decision but i do think that they're smart enough to be aware of the options mm. I, I am sure like a, someone like Raul who's operated at the level he has within football knows how this game works and you know will not be will not be uh, sitting on his hands you know as far as sort of you know talking to other people and seeing what availability is like for potential replacements I mean somebody that you mentioned where's that question gone I've lost it now. I mean, a lot of... Oh, Lewis Ambrose uh, said, how do you think Jumberg will fare with the zip of one of those long coats? <laughs> um, we had a number of questions about Freddie, actually. Um, let me just see if I can find another one here just to give it a mention. Uh, uh, Paul, who's Gunnar Paul G on Twitter, says, do you think Freddie Jumberg would do a better job with this group of players than, than Unai Emery? Um, I mean, I... It's hard to know, isn't it? Because we don't have any body of evidence um, of Freddie as a as a first team coach. But mm. you know, I read the piece that y- you guys wrote for the Athletic um, mm. about Freddie and his ambition and about his quality as a coach and the way that he's perceived and and how popular he is with the players. Mm-hmm. And I'm at a point. I'm at a point with Unai Emery and what we're doing that I would be willing to take that leap of faith. And maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe I'll turn out to be an idiot for thinking that Freddie could come in and and do better than Unai Emery. But I'm willing to go there at this point because I, I just find what we're doing at the moment so unenjoyable, so lifeless, so so at odds with what I thought this season could be. That I'm, mm. I'm just ready for something different. Yeah, I mean, I, I would offer that caveat of sort of, you know, I think as Arsenal fans, we've kind of slightly laughed at United and Chelsea when they've appointed guys with limited managerial experience and Freddie's got less than those guys. So, you know, we don't know what he would be, but I definitely see the appeal. And when you talk to people who've worked with him, they speak incredibly mm. highly of him. And, uh, you know, his work with the under-23s last season, I think, was really good. And the players really responded to him. And that's, I think, partly why he's in the position he's in now. Mm. We have a um, question on the Discord uh, from Colleen, who says, when Freddie got the yellow card for vocalising his displeasure at Saka's yellow card, I couldn't help but think he looked more like the coach that I, that I want than Emery at the moment. Uh, with Saka and Kedia, Willick generally doing quite well this season, having worked under Freddie last year. Do you think he could do better than Emery at the moment? I think so, but maybe I'm just suffering from grass's greener syndrome. Well, the grass is potentially greener. I mean, the, it's not that the grass is never greener, you know. Mm. Sometimes it is. And I think 
I think when something isn't working with a manager, a change is generally as good as a rest, if not better. And a change can a change can be really healthy for a football club. And we certainly reached that point with Arsene. And it might be that we are at that point or arriving at that point with with Unai, where, you know, um, we might as well roll the dice. I mean, something that we haven't really talked about in great depth is Champions League qualification. Yeah. And I cannot stress enough, it is so crucial. And everything we've really done since Arsene Wenger left, even the appointment of Unai Emery, I think is a demonstration of an awareness that we need to be in that Champions League. Um, you know, they, they may have got it wrong, but I think they did look at it as a bit of a shortcut to the Champions League, that appointment. And You mean because of his Europa League record? I think partly, yeah. yeah. He also, he did have some Champions League uh, position finishes with Valencia. So, you know, I think they were like, well, look, he's, he's experienced in getting teams into that competition. And, you know, that's... That was the logic primarily. Uh, But even the sort of the signings we've made, kind of some short-termist deals, you know, we've brought in some older players and I think that's in the knowledge that we need, you know, it's all very well being excited about Saka and the academy players, but the longer we spend out of the Champions League, the bigger the impact it's going to have on this football club. And it's not the case that we can write off this season. You know, it's not the case that we can go, well... Unai wasn't going to make it, so we'll just give it to a coach. And if we finish eighth, we finish eighth. It's great. We we need to get into the top four. And if we yeah. don't in this season, looking at Spurs now, looking at Manchester United, looking at Chelsea, who are going well but are not like are not a great monstrous force by any stretch of the imagination. It is a real. It would be a catastrophe, really, to not get in there this year, given the money that we've spent Mm. and given the problems that the other clubs. We really, really have to do it. And almost to the point where, like, if Unai Emery was to go, yes, Freddie is an option, but if there's another manager who you're like, well, (laughs) I mean, you know, if if you said, I'm going to give you Rafa Benitez and I guarantee he'll put sort of tactical rigour into this team and you'll make the top four and you'll be able to defend a bit and just give him a six-month contract to get you there, you almost would have to take that deal. Like, we have to make the Champions League this yeah. year. I really feel that. Yeah, no question. And, and like, I thought there was a, an interview with David Luiz in The Telegraph, with Sam Dean in The Telegraph. Yeah. And he's talking about about Arsenal and Arsenal is always a big club and he says I came here because they have the potential to fight for titles he said we have the potential we have talented players experienced players a team with quality a club where they give us all the conditions to fight we have amazing support what more do we need well you need a manager who can maximise all those qualities yeah. and and bring it out on on the pitch um, yeah and uh you know, I think, as I mentioned earlier, the sort of weird paradox of the season is that I think we are struggling, but there's so much struggling around us that it kind of obscures, it obscures what's going on at our own club. You know, like before the international mm. break, we were third. And it's, you know, you can look at that and be like, oh, OK, well, things aren't necessarily so bad, but there's some other clubs in a real state. And I think it's distorting our perception of where we are. And... Yeah, for me, the absolute priority is is making that top four. And Leicester, I mean, you talk about the Leicester game on the horizon. 
I mean, Leicester are a better team than us right now. I'm I'm certain of that. I'm certain of it. And Leicester will beat Arsenal at at Leicester. I'm sure. Unless we pull out like an away performance that we haven't seen in yeah, it would take a long something time. Uh, that was a real shock. Uh, and I and I and I'm not sure. I don't think they've got better players necessarily. Um, I think they've got some really good players. And uh, I think they're a little bit underrated in that respect. But, you know, they are playing well and they have a coherent style and they play to their strengths. Uh, and, they, and they're and they in the mix for top four. I mean, they've started this season better than they started the season when they won the league. So, you know, that's another yeah. contender for us and another threat. And it worries me. It really does worry me I, I kind of thought that everyone else would be so bad that we would scrape it oh, together yeah but, but that's not that's not the way yeah look you take it you take it if that's what happened mm. um, that everyone else is so bad that we finish in the top four but you know this is why just looking at results isn't really helpful in the long run it isn't. You have to look at everything. You have to look at the context. You have to look at the performances. You have to look at what the statistics tell you about the way we're playing, what the underlying metrics suggest about how we're going to perform. Um, they did suggest that uh, a stumble was going to come, and, and lo and behold, there it is. Mm. And we'll get all the usual stuff about how we've got to work hard on the training ground and blah, 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 blah. And maybe we'll be fantastic against Vittoria on Thursday night. And maybe, you know, we'll we'll turn it on at home against Crystal Palace. But well, we we all remember Crystal Palace last season. Yeah, and even I, our last home game. Even our last home game. I know we we was it Villa. Was that the last home game? No, Bournemouth was the one. But but Villa Born, uh, Bournemouth wasn't a great performance. Villa was kind of an extraordinary, remarkable win in the circumstances and, and you've got to give the team credit for it but we kind of scraped it you know oh yeah it could have um, gone either way could have gone either and, way and, similarly yeah. the Watford game could just as easily have been a defeat similarly the Spurs game yeah you know we were 2-0 down so you know these those games were on knife edges and eventually you're not going to get the luck eventually it's not going to go your way you can't uh, live like that mm. um, and, and you know I, I know I said I feel like that Christmas period is going to be maybe the crunch, but that is contingent on getting those home results against the likes of Palace, against the likes of Wolves. If they don't happen, mm. of course, that accelerates and, and changes that. Yeah. I mean, do you think, because we spent so long with Arsene Wenger in charge, that we're... Well, I was going to say that maybe we're, we're as a fan base a little bit averse to changing managers, but um, based on everything I'm seeing, everyone's <laughs> everyone's quite up so. for it. Everyone's quite up for it. I don't think so. I, I genuinely think that the greatest... I'm, I'm trying to think about if I feel there are pockets of support for Emery. I think there are. My sense, actually, is that there's a little bit less aversion to him in the ground. Um, but that might be... It's impossible for me to prove that, but that is sometimes my sense. Yeah, I mean, it uh, could be just people behind the team in the stadium, you know, trying to encourage yeah, the team. And, and I think the, the atmosphere in the stadium was so awful in the last couple of years of Arsene Wenger's reign that I think maybe there's just an appreciation of, oh, well, this is slightly slightly different, at least. Um, but I think that 
genuinely the the biggest debate among Arsenal fans is about uh, as we've just kind of had more about timing than about the reality of if Unai Emery is the right man I mean I don't think I've not heard a cogent argument as to why he is the right man yeah and I think yeah yeah, I think that's it I I think even I I would say that um, for me it sort of doesn't make me very emotional the whole thing it's kind of you know it feels like well we we tried this approach Mm. we tried this manager and it hasn't really been right and that's fine that is fine like yeah you know there's no bond there it's not Mikel Arteta or Freddie Jumberg or someone like that and that's why it was good in a way that it wasn't immediately after Arsene Wenger because when it doesn't work and for most managers at some point it doesn't work you know if you turn against a manager on day one eventually you'll be right because unless they're Alex Ferguson or they leave for a bigger club they end badly Um, you know but when that does come to pass it's okay Mm. and I don't think you know, we don't even we don't have many nice things to say about the previous regime at Arsenal, but I wouldn't even massively hold it against them that they uh, appointed Emery. There, there is a kind of logic to it that I could see, but it hasn't panned out as anyone anticipated. Yeah, and or hoped rather, yeah. hoped rather. It's yeah, it's just about um, being open to being wrong, and it's not necessarily a mistake. Uh, per se, you know, it, it just is what it is. And I don't see anything really from what he's doing that's translating itself onto the pitch that suggests to me it's in our own interest to give him another four weeks or six weeks or until we get spanked by Man City or whatever it might be. Mm. You know, I, I, I feel like there's a lot wrong in circumstances where there should be more things right than wrong, you know? Mm. Um, I, in your I, heart I, of hearts, do you think that is going to happen? Like, do you think they are going to make a change now? Um, I don't know because we don't know them quite yeah. well enough, if you know what I mean. I think yeah. the, the, the fact that Raul has been fairly openly supportive of of Emery would suggest to me that... During the break. Yeah, yeah, that no, it's not imminent. But I do think that two or three, maybe even one or two more bad results and bad performances are only going to hammer home what I think most people are, 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 are thinking about Emery in that not much has got better. And in fact, some things have got worse. And there aren't even any signs that that they are going to get better. And people will say, well, the fullbacks, give him his fullbacks. He's got to get his fullbacks. And as if the fullbacks are two fucking magical creatures who are going to make everything better, he had a chance to play one of them last night and he didn't. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, how many more um, excuses are going to be made for for the lack of performance? I don't know what what's left. Give him his fullbacks. What if it doesn't get any better after the fullbacks? What then? Well, that that's something I was thinking about a lot last night. Is that, and I, you know, I, I apologise for looking back to Arsene Wenger, but that is the frame of reference that I have for Arsenal. So yeah. I can only really use it. Um, but with his teams, his sort of quite good teams, 
they that didn't you know of the last let's say 10 years you could look at them and say well the problem there is the defense if they sort out the defense they'll be all right like mm. they would be quite good actually they could potentially really push and win something if they could only sort out that defense and when i look at this current team i haven't heard anybody explain what it is arsenal need to do diff- it's almost so difficult to say exactly what they're doing wrong or to be specific about it it's so uh yeah sort of endemic almost yeah. do you know all, what i mean all we need to do is sort out the defense the midfield the creative element of our team and the attack yeah and if we can do that then we're we're plain and, and sailing it's not a it's not a simple problem it's not like well if we buy the coach this one player that will fix it or if he just spends time working on set pieces that will fix it i'm not sure it's a situation that looks immediately fixable do you know what i mean yeah. under this under this regime under this management it's not possible to identify even kind of two or three things if we only did that it's not a question of if we only did anymore it's a question of this Mm. is sort of fundamentally not right and that's when it's like well what is the common denominator across these performances and it is the coach and that's where responsibility comes in i mean one of the things that i found most depressing i suppose about the performances when you have that amount of attacking quality on the field as we did in that last 20 minutes. So we did throw Lacazette on, we had Aubameyang on, we had Saka there, we had Ceballos, we had Martinelli. When you have 85% possession or whatever it is in that final 20 minutes, I think you always console yourself as a fan. You're like, well, we'll get one chance. Do you know what I mean? We'll Mm. get one chance. And if it falls to the right guy, maybe we'll get something. And I, even I, I think I almost thought about tweeting it. I was like, look, We've been bad, but there'll be a chance in this game. Yeah, you thought and, better and of honest, that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, there wasn't. And that is really rare. Jamie Carragher on Sky, he was talking about the fact that Arsenal have had, is it two clean sheets in 24 away games under Unai Emery? Holy and he shit. Said, That's difficult to do. He was like, that is difficult to do. He was like, as a pro, you have games where you come away from it and you're like, Fucking hell, how do we keep a clean sheet there? You know, they hit the post, we gave them that great chance, they skied it. You get, he, he said you would expect to have half a dozen of those that you're like, we didn't even play well that game and yeah. we got a clean sheet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we don't, we don't. We, we've done something that is genuinely statistically quite difficult to achieve and conceded in 22 of 24 away games. Mm. So the problems do run really deep. And, um, yeah, I think that actually the the quickest and most expedient solution is to change the, the coach. Yeah. Uh, and it usually is in football. Well, it usually is. We're not going to spend uh, a whole lot of money in January to change the players. That's not what is going to happen. Well, I don't think we can. No, of course we can't. We can't. We spent a lot. So, yeah, look, I think that's where we are. I think we we, we hit a tipping point last night, certainly for me. Where I, you know, if we if we'd gone out last night and performed well and and won convincingly, you could say, right, we've got this run of games, that's a very encouraging start. But what we did was just more of what we've seen for months and months and months, not just this season but last season as well. Last season, it cost us top four. Mm-hmm. This form, this higgledy piggledy hodgepodge way of approaching games. 
It cost us the top four. It cost us Champions League football. It cost us that revenue. It cost us that prestige. It cost us that step forward. And if we continue to stick with a manager who, I guess the only consistency he has shown is in this um, this sort of indifferent level of performance in the, the Premier League, it will cost us top four again. And that will be so, so damaging. So for me, last night was the tipping point. I think it's whoever it is, it's time. For me, mm. I don't I don't necessarily expect the club to do it today, tomorrow, this week. But they have to be thinking about it. Yeah, I think uh, when we spoke a few weeks ago, I the optimist in me really did hope that this team might improve under Unai Emery. And I think now the optimist in me hopes that the club sees fit to correct course. Mm. So I think that tells you a bit about, you know, how unconvincing we have been and how slim the possibility now feels that it will suddenly get better. Yeah. Uh, It just doesn't show signs, Mm. unfortunately. Mm. Over to you, Raul and Edu. Yeah. And I mean, look, Edu... He came in the summer and he's had a few months to settle into the club. And it, to a certain extent, Emery was always going to get that time. He there, wasn't going to walk in on day one. Yeah. Did you see, uh, I think uh, James Bench tweeted about how Edu waited 15 minutes outside talking yeah. to to fans. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure he's got a very good understanding of what the uh, the fan base is thinking. If he's spoken to fans away from home, after that performance, after that mm. result, he will be un, uh, in in what's uh, under no impressions as to the the depth of feeling. I would suggest and that yes. maybe that's a good thing. And Sanya, he was part of Emery's appointment. If we take Hamgazidis at his word about that process, yeah. Um, but they do kind of have the get out of this wasn't our guy. Of this course, wasn't yeah, our yeah, choice. Yeah. yeah, and and I think. You know, everything about Vinay and Raul since they've come in has suggested that they do want to kind of break with the past and they do want to stamp their imprint on the football club. And appointing a manager is a very obvious way to do that. So I don't think they'll be averse. I don't think they'll be averse at all. No, no. And even some of the decisions in the transfer market have displayed a kind of decisiveness and ruthlessness, whether that's bringing in Pepe Mm. You know, and breaking the club transfer record and, and being prepared to take a risk. That's, you know, a risky deal for a club like Arsenal without Champions League football. People looked at the, the money and went, whoa, you know. Um, being prepared to, to sign William Saliba and yep. and let him go out on loan again because long term they think that's the kind of signing that will help. Getting shot of Mkhitaryan, selling Alex Iwobi. You know, there are things there... Um, that they've been doing that would lend you to think they're 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 willing to make decisions that are not always easy decisions to make. So hopefully that's the case in this scenario too. Yeah, and I think those decisions, for the most part, 
I wouldn't say that show a contempt for the manager's immediate priorities, but maybe a slight disregard for his immediate concerns. You know, those are players, Montreal, Iwobi, Mkhitaryan, who he liked. And, you know, there's a long-term vision in Saliba that potentially goes even beyond Unai Emery's reign. Mm. And I do think we have a better infrastructure as a club on the football side than we have had maybe ever, you know, in terms of the sort of amount of different quality football people contributing. Yeah. We are stronger than we have been. We are more, uh, what's the word, sort of more resistant, more durable to a managerial change than we have ever been. So, you know, in some ways... Um, exactly. It's, you're right. It's The power is not with the manager anymore, as it no. was with Arsene Wenger. The power is with the people who are running the football club. And the job of the, the manager slash head coach is to produce on the pitch. And that way you've got this, this instant demarcation, this line where it's like, okay, if you're not doing this, then cheerio. Yeah, and also, if someone we haven't talked about in this is is Josh Kroenke and KSE. And I think if we learn anything from this summer, it's that there is an increased awareness from them of fan sentiment and maybe uh, now that they are the outright owners, an interest in maybe being a little bit more favourably perceived mm. than they have been. And, you know, sacking a manager and getting a new one in is a pretty straightforward way of them potentially appeasing a pretty disgruntled set of supporters. So yeah. that might play into things as well. All right. Well, look, I don't know what more we can say about this and the situation and the game itself. Um, I think we've been, we've been pretty clear on this. So we do have a game on Thursday, of course. We're playing Victoria in the Europa League. Uh, it's an evening game. So we'll be here on Friday morning with another Arscast Extra. Um, hopefully we've got another cup game, an enjoyable win, because, you know, they have been the sort of one little shining light. But ultimately, I don't think those games are what's, um, you know, what, what truly reflects the manager's performance. But uh, yeah, look, I don't know what else to say other than hope you enjoyed the podcast as much as that's possible. <laughs> um, maybe you agree, maybe you disagree. But yeah. We are where we are. It's not pretty right now, and we'll have to see what happens. So um, we'll catch you on Friday. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.